Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station XS Manchester The XS Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full With Jim Salverson XS Manchester I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to another Excess Long Player where I take a classic album and I discuss it with someone who helped contribute to its making On this episode, I'm talking about the youngest album we featured to date on this series, released on the 1st of October 2021. It's The Lathams, How Beautiful Life Can Be. A debut number one album for the Wigan four-piece, and an album that seemed to kickstart a bit of a musical revolution up in that part of Greater Manchester. Talking me through this album, well, it's none other than... Latham's frontman Alex Moore, who isn't a man I've heard do a great number of interviews, but he talks with passion, he talks with honesty about this album. So enjoy this. This is Alex Moore talking about how beautiful life can be, the debut album from the Latham's. How are you doing, Alex? I'm very good, sir. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. I mean, I said this is a relatively new album to be classed as a classic, but I think it was one of those albums that kind of gets the title Instant Classic. Came out, made a massive impact, got to number one. How do you see it in your eyes? Because this is something that you made, you produced. Do you see it up there in the pantheon of great albums? Well, what an honour for for starters. I mean, like you say, it's for such a a young record um, to be held so highly. It's a bit mind-boggling, but it, it does kind of go to show that these songs that we're writing the the proper songs and they mean something to us Mm. and they obviously mean something to other people too and that that won't change for album two or three or four maybe six i think that's it the authenticity of the songs really helped them connect with people first inside manchester and wigan and then outside manchester we'll talk about that more in a bit but i want to go right back to the beginnings of the band and how you got together i believe it was the at the music project in pemberton yeah, that's that's right. What was the aspiration at that point? Did you know by going to the music projects and trying to find like-minded people that you wanted to find a band? And then did you ever think that the band would become the full-time thing? Um, in the very beginning, I'd be a liar if I said I thought it was going to be what it's become now because I was still riding to college mm. in my shorts, doing wheelies <laughs> and that, like in the early days. Um, How old were you at that point? 25. Was, <laughs> that was last week. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was like, I think I was 17-ish, okay. around about there. And I was just having a bad time in life. Like I didn't, I, like I wasn't enjoying, I was at a normal college. I wasn't 
enjoying that and there's just stuff in life that I just wasn't enjoying life and I just kind of my mum and dad put me onto this music college around the corner and then I went there and the first day I just knew I was supposed to be doing mm. something with music whether it would be teaching it or playing it or whatever I never expected to be in a band I, I just kind of wrote my own tunes and just sang to whoever would listen to me and it, it all naturally came together there was no forcing to the extent that you're talking was the writing of music and the assembling of the band almost like a form of therapy for you indeed most definitely the bond that i have i have with the lads i never had that from being like a young lad all the way up to now like i never had that connection with mm. somebody in terms of not just kind of the music we we connected on kind of like a human level as well we both we was all just all very similar but very different in the same in the same token but writing the songs and occupying my time with things that are genuinely fun like going playing a pub for a couple of pints each that was the stuff that helped me change to be who I am now and kind of get myself back on track I'm sure it felt like there was a lot of time between those early days in the band and like you say playing pubs for a few pints and the album coming out and becoming a number one album there was a few EPs that dropped along the way and with every EP that dropped it felt like certainly being in Manchester that there was more and more of a buzz forming around you and being created. I remember seeing a whole load of buzz around you on social media at the time in those early days. What did that feel like from within the band? Did it feel strange that suddenly you were starting to get this attention? Yeah, definitely. Because we're, like I said, we're all very similar. That also includes not being good in crowds. Even just you know, just kind of communicating with people. We're nice enough lads, you know what I mean? We're not horrible to nobody, but we're not good at like sparking a conversation and, and keeping it going. We're all a bit a bit awkward still. Like, Did that feel strange then in terms of the pressure that you were suddenly under, that you were going from writing songs with your mates to have fun and kind of get something off your chest to the pressure to perform on a stage or to meet a fan who loves your music? Well, we've been lucky in that way because even though we're awkward and that, like, people are always really, really nice to us, do you know what I mean? We've mm. never had, a, a, like, a bad encounter with nobody. It's either they really enjoy the music or they want a picture and have a little chat with us and that, and we buzz off that, do you know what I mean? Like, people taking time out of the day to come and speak to you, that's mental. And it's it's nice that we've, because, like, obviously we're from Wigan, it's just, it's like a small little town and that, and it's doesn't really compete in terms of size with, with the cities around it. But we've kind of been like adopted, especially Manchester, like especially like in the early days, there was like always a buzz in Manchester about us. People was always supporting us and, and getting onto us and that. So that, w- that was nice to kind of be adopted. When the album did come out, straight in at number one in the charts, do you remember where you were and who told you that your debut album was number one? <laughs> well we was asleep at the time because um, <laughs> we was on tour it was like our first headline tour which made everything way more amplified like all the emotion and everything it's that first time being on a bus so we was all just kind of like buzzing and then james our tour manager came and woke us up and he was like it's happened lads it's happened and we all ran downstairs and that and we was all shouting and that yeah, it was just like such a good feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. just, we was on the road in a buzz. 
touring in front of in front of people all all up and down the country, and then somebody comes and says you've got a number one in the charts. It's like, don't know, am I still dreaming? There must have been a few moments like that throughout the rapid success you've had, like Brendan Flowers saying he's a fan and getting you on stage, playing the Manchester Arena, having a number one album. Are they all moments that cause you to kind of take a step back and go, what the f*** is happening here? Yeah, the, it, it kind of makes me feel not confident in the fact that I think, oh, I am this and that and mm. I'm Mr. Important now. Confident in the fact that these people genuinely respect what we're doing and 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 they like it do you know what i mean and it mm. it's f- for so many people to say it it must just be something natural you can't force these things it yeah. has to just happen on its own it has to be organic and i, I think that's just what me and the lads are it's mm. we're just normal people just trying to have a good life and and hopefully spread spread a bit, bit of happiness to other people and it's it's working out for us so far on the album itself, you worked with James Skelly of The Coral and also he's worked as a producer with many bands, including Blossoms. What did he bring to the sessions? What dynamic did he change? Obviously, because it was our first album, like we had no idea about the process of kind of labels and managements and studios and this and that. Like we was in the early days, we was paying John Kettle 100 quid for records, a tune, and we'd do it in a day and it... And then all the process just changed. James, he, he he like spoke to us. It was easy to understand him because mm. at the end of the day, he was just like us. He was just a musician that just was with his mates and he enjoyed it and he, he did really well for himself. You know what I mean? And, and he, he kind of taught us that professionalism, but we are just musicians at the end of the day and it's all just kind of a process. Mm. And you just like learn new things. And he was, he was a really, really good man, to be fair to him, because we was probably wasn't very easy to handle us men I'll, I'll be honest with you but yeah James and, and Chris Taylor they were, they were really good to us and James Skelly was proper top guy like I'm going to pick out a couple of tracks off the album to talk about I and mean, I'd like you to pick a track as well so it could be a track that you love or something that's got a memory attached to it but we'll get onto that shortly the couple I wanted to mention first off How Beautiful Life Can Be which I believe is a song the lyrics came from a conversation that you had with your mum I know that much, but I don't really know the story behind that. I go off on these, um, I think it's when I come off tour, I become very sad. And I, I just get these bouts of kind of, I get very deep into thinking about things and I, and I overthink things and I overanalyze and I sit on my own and think about it. Obviously it was COVID at the time. I don't really like mentioning COVID because I feel like it takes over too much. Right. But I mean, it was written during lockdown and nobody could go out we couldn't see each other and for me i know i lost a lot of time developing in my own way and i know i'd be a lot different now started thinking about you know the younguns and they couldn't go to school and they didn't understand why and this germ thing was like really scary thing and it was it stunted a lot of people's like experiences and and times that at that time of your life, you really need to kind of be experiencing things and being around people. And some kids hadn't seen planes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, because obviously not no planes was flying about. They'd never seen a plane until they was old, like a couple of years older and that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just simple things like that just kind of got to me, and I just wanted to write something to kind of put a positive side on it. 
it felt like when it came out, it really kind of captured the mood and a kind of a let's look at the positive things on it in a world that was looking quite negative and, and down at the time. But I mean, does your mum get any songwriting credits on the album sleeve at all for helping out with that one? Indeed, sir. Of does course. She? Of course, man. Of course. Amazing. The other track I want to talk about is I See Your Ghost, because every time I listen to it, I can't imagine how it's possible to sing as fast as you do on that record. How much practice did it take to get that right? And what made you want to give yourself such a mammoth task for when you have to perform that song live? <laughs> um, it's all muscle memory now, really. So I don't, um, it's not actually that much of a worry. The only thing I do think about is hitting it really well, you know, hitting all the syllables really well. Mm. But other than that, I, I used to, when I was younger, I used to listen to loads of rap, like all different kinds. And it was just, I loved the, like, the wordsmithing and like the trickery and like the syllables and how fast they could push it or how clever they could be with a, a couple of sentences. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just like, really like words. So I just kind of said to myself, I want to write something fast. And then that, that just happened. <laughs> Before I let you go, there are a couple of my highlights from the album, but I just want you to pick... Like I say, a highlight, it could be a track or a moment or something you remember from being in the studio or the writing of a song, but what would be your part of that album that really kind of springs to mind when I ask that question? Well, the first thing that popped into my head when you asked me then was um, when we, we'd we finished the album, we'd finished recording all the songs and we had like a, a blast through of them all and just kind of tried to quantify it almost and kind of settle with it and understand it. And I remember, I'll never forget the time I spent with UK, man. Mm. Like, everybody was there, James Skelly, all the lads, management, label. And I just, I've never kind of, I'm not good with showing how I am. I'm good at speaking about my emotions to people and stuff like that, but I struggle showing if I'm upset about something. I'd rather keep that to myself. But the song came on and I just could not stop crying. Like, I just physically, that's never happened to me before. Mm. With music, I physically couldn't stop crying. Like, I've cried from a song before, and I've shed a tear, and it's made me think of happy things or sad things, but, man, I was just sat there, and I was just... I couldn't hold it together, and it it, it changed me that I allow things... I allow things to come in now. I don't shut them off. I let them come in, even if it even if it feels horrible at the time, because I think I act too, because everybody was there. Everybody could see it, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I couldn't hide it and it, it just kind of allowed me to just not worry about it and just let these things in. Don't try and force them away. Can you put your finger on what it was that prompted that reaction when you heard it for the first time? That kind of like sounds like it was purely physical, but do you know exactly why it happened or was it just you were just overcome with everything that was going on? I think because of the the, the, the reason I wrote the song, it started off about somebody that I lost that I, I love very much. Um, and then I found somebody, um, I found a girl that I love very, very much. I still do. And things weren't working out at the time. Mm. Um, it was just a culmination of those things. I think it all just got to me really now. Does it change your relationship with a song when you hear it, when it's recorded and committed to record? Does your relationship change from the time you wrote it to the time it's recorded to the time you heard it? Well, I quite like that, actually. I've never actually thought about that, but... It definitely does because the way you described it, like from the time of writing it to getting it recorded and having it out, in between recording it and getting it out, it, it starts to become not just my song. It becomes 
the lad's song, it becomes everybody that listens to it's song. Do you know, mm-hmm. they start to connect certain events with that song, just like it does with me. I think that does kind of change how I, how I think about it sometimes with certain songs. But when I listen back to it, I think I always get the same emotion. But maybe in a couple of years that might change. It'll be interesting to kind of keep my eye on. I'll let you know in a couple of years, Jim. Yeah, we'll revisit it. Album number eight in a couple of years. We'll come back. Grammy <laughs> Awards and all sorts under your belt. Uh, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk about how beautiful life can be. Like I said, well worthy of the classic album tag. Good luck with the new album as well, which is nothing to a little bit more, which comes out at the end of February next year, which is 2023, depending when you're listening to this as a podcast. But Alex, uh, pleasure. Really nice to speak to you on the Excess Long Player. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for all your support from the beginning, man. The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. That's it for today's Excess Long Player. What a brilliant interview that was with Alex. Well, not, not because of me, obviously, because of him. Really enjoyed speaking to him about the making of this album. If you enjoyed the chat I had with Alex, well, check out the other episodes in this series. If you've not already done so, there are loads of brilliant artists talking about their brilliant albums. So dig back in the archives and I'll see you very soon for another Excess Long Player. Access Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester.